Let's pray together. Lord God, I pray that what we have sang, that we believe it is true. I pray for any who cannot say with confidence that they know that they are a child of yours, that today would be the day when they can say for certain that they are. Give us insight into your gospel now, Lord God. May your word speak true, and may it ring true in our hearts that we might respond rightly to what we're about to hear. Lord, these words are true. These are your true words. They, they, are, they are sounding. Uh, they are terrifying. But they are true nonetheless. So may we take them to heart and respond rightly to what we hear. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Go ahead and be seated if you would. We're finishing up a series. Uh, we've been walking through Matthew 24 in this year of, of looking at what's next. Uh, we've spent the last month walking through a very challenging scripture. It's a terrifying text. What it talks about is true. It's real. Jesus said it. And, and we know it's true. And so as, as, we, as we finish this up, I want us to kind of remember the big picture of what it is we're doing. We're, we're anticipating what God has said He's going to do, that He's going to return. And so we want to understand rightly what that means, and we want to, we want to make sure that we are living in light of that reality. So this past month we've been talking about mapping out a vision for our life, seeing where it's going, making sure that we're in line with what God wants for us. Now, uh, next week we're going to be in the book of Hebrews. We're going to, we're going to detour for just one Sunday, and we're going to, we're going to study one of my favorite texts uh, out of Hebrews chapter 10. And then the following Sunday... This month of September is a real opportunity for us. We're going to study and look at what it, what it means to live in light of the weight of glory of the coming of God in heaven. And on these six different Sundays, we're going to be doing some special things. One thing that I want to encourage you to be mindful of is that in two weeks, uh, two weeks is September the 11th. That's going to be the 15th anniversary of when our country was under attack. And we're not going to make a big deal about that. We're not going to show images and we're not going to talk that up. But it's just a good Sunday for people to be reminded that, that our God is a sovereign God and that we need each other. You know, that Sunday after the attacks, there, there wasn't a seat available in churches all over the country, all over the place, but, but many have lost kind of focus of that need for God. And so I'm, I'm hoping that, that each of us will be bringing folks with us on the 11th. Now, the 18th, you also don't want to miss because there's going to be something that's going to happen. You're going to smell something and you're going to experience something that you won't forget that will remind you of the goodness of God. And then the last Sunday of September... Um, is, is, you know, in, when David brought in the ark, there was this time when he celebrated and the people were given good things. And, and he gave them different kinds of treats and it was kind of a neat celebration. And so the last Sunday in September, we're having Snow Cone Sunday, okay? Judge us if you want to, but don't miss it, all right? Because this is going to be a lot of fun. So pray for good weather, but we're going we're gonna to have some special times in September. We want to invite neighbors. We want to invite friends to, to be reminded of this glorious good news of the gospel and to see what God is doing in the world and what he's about to do. And that's what we're, we're looking at in our text today. You know, every, everything in this world, every story in this world has an ending. We live in a fallen world, and some of the endings are good, and some of them are not. But, but regardless, everything on, on this planet as we know it now has an ending. And, and we need to be mindful of that reality. You know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with our Little League baseball team, the Bowling Green East. How many of you guys have been watching these games on TV? It's been so much fun, uh, especially for us at Living Hope, because two of the players are a part of our church family. And so Wednesday night we were with our group, and... Um, 
The Snyders are a part of their gr- our group, and their little boy, uh, Kyle, is, is on the team. And so we were watching the game, and then out of nowhere, we hear the announcer say, uh, Kyle Snyder will be coming in to pitch. And so all of a sudden, our attention was, was really increased, and we started screaming and laughing and thinking, oh, this is so great. And then we thought, oh, no, Kyle's pitching in front of two million people. I wonder if, he, if, he's, you know, if he's aware of that. And so... Uh, Kyle did great. It's a terrible picture. His dad took the picture, but it, it just—it was so much fun to, to watch him get up on that that field and in that moment. And so after we got through screaming and being excited for Kyle, this kid that we we you know we prayed when he was born. We you know some of them I didn't, but some of them changed his diapers and and we you know we've seen him grow up and here he is now on the on the on the diamond. We started thinking about his family, his mom and his dad and his sister Savannah were there and they've gotten some some publicity. We just pictured Kevin just going out of his mind, right? Just, ah, you know, just uh, every picture I've seen of Kevin, he's been standing up screaming. I don't know why. He's just so excited. And then Jill was often calm and collected and intense. And, and Savannah is cool as the other side of the pillow. That girl doesn't get worried about nothing. And, and, and so seeing them there, cheering him on, it wasn't just Kyle. It was also Davis Moran. So Kyle pitched on Wednesday night, Friday night. Davis gets up to bat in the fifth inning. We're down, and it's an intense moment. And he gets up, and he goes full count. Look at that time, boy. Don't you know that's some intensity right there? He's fouling off pitches. I mean, it's like I'm living through every single pitch. And I was so glad he got he got to first. He took first on, on a walk, and it was so great. And I showed this picture of his family up in the stands. Four generations cheering on our hero, Davis Moran, number nine. Four generations of his family were there. Isn't that cool? I mean, you talk about unforgettable memories. And, and then guess what? It was over. And they came home last night on a bus. A bunch of people met him at the field. They let loose some balloons after a police escort there and everything. And then guess what they did? They went home. They went separate directions. They'll be in church today. They'll be at school tomorrow. And just like that, the story is over. I appreciate what Seneca said and what what was the group uh, Semisonic sang later. From every new beginning comes from uh, every new beginning comes from some other beginning's end, and that's true. The way God has made our world is that with every ending there is a new beginning. There's a, there's another start. There's a new day. Thanks be to God. If we who believe the Bible look at it, we understand what what's happening in the world. We understand that the world was made in harmony with God. And the reason why the world is not as it should be now is because of sin, because of the fall. But we know that God has not abandoned us in our sin. And right now, God is, is, in the, is in rescue mode. Right now, any who will trust in Jesus Christ will be saved from sin and given eternal life in Him. But we know that this chapter is going to soon end. God said that this generation, this generation that has known the Savior and the power of the Holy Spirit, will come to an end, and that ending will bring a new beginning, and that new beginning is the restoration. Jesus taught plainly about this coming reality. He let the disciples know in no uncertain terms that he was going to return again. The reality of this can be terrifying. The text we're going to look at today, like the text we've been looking at all month in Matthew 24, if you take them seriously, and we all should, it gets our attention. And I I in no way want anyone to feel manipulated or in any way overwhelmed, uh, because the fact of the matter is if we will have faith in Christ, these words are good words. This is good news for us. 
even though it's going to be hard getting there. But we can live by faith. And I pray today as we read these words, as I teach you from these words, that the Spirit of God will give you peace. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to Matthew chapter 24. If you didn't bring your Bible, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. Feel free to use your phone or electronic devices and and go to our text for today, which is Matthew chapter 24. We're going to be in verses 36 through 51. Dominic's going to read for us. So Dominic, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And Dominic, going to read for us of the last section here uh, of, of this, what, what is called the Olivet Discourse. This is Jesus explaining what's going to happen when he returns. And so we've looked at it. This is in response. If you look in verse 3, this is in response to Jesus' answering their question. They're on the Mount of Olives. He's been telling them what's going to happen. And now he comes to verse 31. So if you would, Dominic, read that for us. I'm sorry, verse 36. Verse 36. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day the Lord is coming. But know this that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at a proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says to himself, My master is delayed, and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and the gnashing of teeth. The word of God. Thanks be to God. Well done, Dominic. If you would, go ahead and be seated. This week, as we were preparing this sermon, uh, we were talking about the starkness, just the terrifying reality of it. Even this morning, as, as the staff, we get together and we pray every Sunday morning in preparation for the Lord's Day, and we were talking about how how easy it would be to manipulate the emotions with this text, because it truly is startling to realize what Jesus is saying here. This, these are Jesus' words. This is God's true word. And this really is what's next. This really is what we need to be preparing for and and thinking through. And and there's a lot to be said here. I want to encourage you to to take away two things, and those are the things I want you to take note of. And and again, I've asked the Holy Spirit to drive the, the thinking into this message, and I've asked the Holy Spirit even today, even in our time, to come and be present so that we can understand this truth. And so I pray that now, and I encourage you in the Spirit to listen and to give consideration to the realities of these words. First thing we need to do is this. We need to, to be able to be this. We don't, we don't know when Jesus is coming, so look, so we need to be ready. We don't know when he's going to come, so we just need to be ready for him to come at any time. Uh, we don't need to know when he's coming. If we needed to know, God would have told us. 
He would have given us a date, and he would have put it in the book, and we would have known when he was coming. But it is a part of God's plan that we not know. It's a part of our faith that is strengthened by simply trusting that he is going to come. And so the fact that we don't need to know means that we don't need to waste time trying to figure out when. The text itself speaks plainly. You go back and read all of Matthew 24, and what you will see, the descriptions of the world and the, and the state it will be in when Christ returns, and you realize that is very much the state of our world today. And Jesus Christ could come at any time. But we don't know the times. We don't, we don't know when he's going to, to show up. And so don't waste your time listening to people or reading people or, or studying people who say they know when Jesus is coming back. They're con artists. They don't know. There have been people who've done this before. They don't have a clue. I remember when I was in college, I took a very difficult course. It was the philosophy of religion. And we had three grades in this course, and they were all going to be uh, two tests and a paper. And, and so preparing for these tests were very intense, and so we actually put together a study group. And in the study group, there was a guy, uh, as we began to study, he went on for about 15 minutes about all the things he knew that was, they were going to be on the test. Hey, we need to be ready for this, and we need to be ready for that. So we're all taking notes, and we're going back, and we're investigating this. We're about 15 minutes into it, and, and a young lady in our study group says, so you know for a fact that this is what's going to be on the test. He said, oh, no, it just feels like this is what it's going to be. Well, guess what? He was wrong. What he said was not on the test. So we didn't invite him to the next study group. There are people who are going to say, hey, this is when Jesus is coming back. Don't invite them to your study group. They don't know what they're talking about. No one knows when Jesus is coming. The Father knows. No one else knows. And we don't need to know. If we needed to know, Jesus would tell us. We don't need to know when he's coming. We just need to be ready for his coming. We need to be prepared. Now, Jesus' return, it's announced, but he will come unexpectedly. Look at the analogies. Look at the description that Jesus gives here, what it will be like. In verse 38, he makes it very clear it's going to be like the time of Noah. I'm sorry, not uh, yeah, Noah. It would be the time of the flood. He said, you know, during that time, I want you to think about this for a moment. There were people, he said, they were marrying, they were drinking, they were going about their lives. But what was, what was really about to happen was that there was about to be this cataclysmic event that had never been seen before. See, up to this point, before the flood, there had never been any rainfall on the planet. Up until that point, there was still the effects of the original garden, and so water would come up from the earth, and it was a much more of a tropical environment. There had not yet been any rain on the planet, and yet there was this crazy guy, Noah, who was building a boat, a humongous boat that took a hundred years, by the way, for him to build, and, and very few, if any, believed him, save his family. So think about this. There was a world in which there was an event that was coming, and there was a man who was saying, He's, there's going to be this, this event that's going to happen from the sky like that has never been seen before. And we need to get ready. And, and so you need to know, I've built this ark. And so as he's building this, but, but so few, so few believed. And then he came. And then God brought judgment to the world. He's going to do it again. Only those who have entered into his saving grace will be saved. In the days of Noah, it was only those who got into the boat. In our day, it is only those who repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know the three circles. We understand God's design, that he meant everything to be in harmony. We know that our world is broken. Why? Because of sin. 
Here's the gospel. The gospel, the word itself, means good news. Here's the good news. God himself has come. He has paid the penalty for our sins, the very things we've been singing about this morning. And through his resurrection, we now can have life. So we need to repent, that is, turn away, repent from trusting in ourselves or trusting in any earthly thing to save us. Instead, we must believe the gospel, believe that God is our Savior, that Jesus Christ is God, that He has been raised, and having believed in Him and received His eternal life in us, we can pursue and recover God's design. Only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. And when He comes, only those will be found ready for His judgment. Others will be swept away. They will be destroyed. They will face living death for all of eternity in this, in this cataclysmic event. Think about again, looking at verses 38 through 41. Look at the things that will be happening. There will be women who are working together. One will be taken. One will remain. There will be two men who will be walking together. One will be taken. One will remain. What is Jesus talking about? He's talking about the time when the Son of Man will come. Again, in the days of Noah there was to be this cataclysmic event when from the sky there would appear this wondrous thing that had never been seen before, and with it would come the judgment of God. And so it is in the day of the coming of the Son of God. When He returns again, it will be a cataclysmic event from the sky. It will be like something that has never been seen on this planet before. And then there will be judgment. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes about, he wrote about this day. Remember, Paul was a missionary. Paul wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Again, these are the words of God. He was inspired by the Holy Spirit. The church at Thessalonica had been deceived. They had been told that Jesus had already returned and that all those who have died and are dying now have no hope. And so he wrote to this church to clarify the fact that all who have died, those saints who believed in Jesus, their souls have gone to be with God in heaven. But there is coming a time when those saints will become, they will come back with Christ and their bodies will be resurrected. And then those who remain will be resurrected. Look at this description. This is God's word in 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 4, beginning in verse 13. It says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, about those who have died. That, that you may not grieve as others who have no hope. He said, listen, we, we want you to grieve because when there's death, there's always grief because the world is not as it should be. God made us to live. That was the harmony that he made. But because of sin, there's now death. And he says, but look, we have hope. Even those that, that have died, we still have hope because we know they're with the Lord. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who've fallen asleep. So there are those who have died. If a saint, that is someone who is, has trusted in Jesus Christ, their sin is pardoned, they were given the life of Christ in them, they were made righteous by faith in Christ alone, the moment they die, their soul goes to be with the Lord. Their body remains. So whenever I do a funeral, when my funeral comes, here's what I want you to say. I want you to stand over. There, I will probably be in a casket of some sort, and you will see my body. It's the shell. I want you to say to one another, this is the shell. The nut is in heaven. And that's the truth. That's the truth. The soul goes to be with the Lord. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who fall asleep. So what's going to happen? <laughs> this is God's word. This is true. I know this is going to sound strange to some of you, but remember, rain sounded strange to the people of Noah's day. The coming of a cataclysmic event that would change the world 
it seemed unbelievable, but it happened. This too is going to happen. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. This will be an unmistakable moment. There will be a sound like it's never been heard on this planet before. And Christ will appear in the clouds. And with him will be all the angels of heaven and all the souls of the saints who have died who are with him now. What will happen? And the dead in Christ will rise first. What does that mean? That means that the dead bodies, that is the shells, will be raised. There will be bodies raised from oceans and grounds all over the planet. Those bodies, those resurrected bodies, bodies like that of Jesus' resurrected body, they will be raised and their souls will descend and that resurrected body will once again house that eternal soul with an eternal body that will never grow old, that will never get sick, that will never die. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them. So, there will be two men walking, one will be taken, one will remain. There will be two women working, one will be taken, one will remain. Why? Because only the redeemed of God who have trusted in Jesus Christ will be taken with the Lord. All others will be judged. We will be caught up together with them, that is, those who have just been resurrected, those saints who are right now with the Lord. We will be raised with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is what Jesus is talking about. There is coming a cataclysmic event like has never been seen on this planet. The Lord will return, and we need to be ready. Because Jesus is coming, we need to remain awake to the mission and presence of God. Look at verses 42 through 44. It's easy to get busy uh, with seemingly other important things rather than preparing for the coming of Christ. It's easy to get caught up in what we don't like about the church. It's easy. Look, if you want to complain about something, it's not going to be hard. It's not going to be hard to find things to complain about. But what do you expect in a fallen world? What do you expect with just with people who are redeemed who are still living in a fallen land? This is not the this is not the way God intended it. I get that. But here's the deal. Are you gonna sit around and complain and do nothing, or are you gonna do what God said to do and look forward with hope? Here's the question I would invite you to ask yourself. It's a question that has really rung in my head this week as I read the commentary of, of D.A. Carson. This is what Carson asked in his commentary in Matthew twenty-four. What would you like to be doing, saying, thinking, or planning when Jesus comes again? What would you not like to be doing, saying, thinking, or planning when Jesus comes again? I don't know about you, but when Jesus comes back, I want to be found trusting in Jesus. I hope I'm preaching the gospel, to be honest with you, when he comes. At least I hope I'm sharing the gospel with someone. I certainly want to be living in a position where I'm trusting in Jesus, where I'm relying on him where I'm bringing glory and honor and praise to Him. Let me ask you, if Jesus came back right now, would what you've been doing this weekend be what you would want to have been doing the weekend when Jesus returned? What about the last couple of months, three or four months? Is the life that you've been living the life that you want to be living when Jesus comes back? Or do you need to rethink your priorities? Do you need to rethink what it is you're doing with your one and only life? Do you need to think through the, the, the lens of the coming of Christ? And do you need to, to, to really reassess where are your, where's the resource of your time going? Where's the resource of your money going? Where's the resource of your emotions going? We only have so much time, emotion, and money. Where's it going? 
Is it going towards the things of the kingdom of God? Is, is it what you want to be found doing when Christ returns? Do the things you want to be doing when Christ returns. Do them day after day. Be faithful in that path of life, trusting in Christ along the way. Realizing that, that we may not know when Jesus is returning, but we need to be ready. And what do we need to be ready? We need to be ready for what He's going to do. He's going to bring judgment. So we know what Jesus expects in light of that judgment, and it's simply this, obedience. So write it down. We do know what Jesus expects. We don't know when He's coming, so we got to be ready. But we do know what Jesus expects. So be obedient. And so we see some words here, some thoughts. I just want to walk quickly just through each piece of this. We, we know that He expects us to be faithful. Who then is the faithful servant? Faithfulness is simply love on display. Friends, be faithful. Be faithful. I, I know some of you are, are in difficult marriages. Stay faithful to your spouse. If you've been unfaithful, repent and return. In the name of the Lord, return. Because it is right and good. If you are having difficulty being faithful to your spouse, understand that your problem is not, it's not a will issue, it's a heart issue. You need to kindle your love for your spouse. This week I dealt with a, a young person who is dealing with the devastating effects of, of divorce. And I know some of you, you are, you are convincing yourself that it's okay to be divorced. It's not. And I know some of you have gone through divorce. And I know many of you would give testimony and say, no, don't be divorced. Don't do it. It's hard. It's painful. It seems like it's the right thing. It seems like it's the easy thing. It's, it's not. Don't do it. Remain faithful to your spouse, not simply by not getting a divorce, but by investing in love, choosing to love one another every day and do the same thing with Jesus Christ. Be faithful to him, and the way you are faithful to him is by loving him. He says, who is, this, who is the faithful servant? Not just faithful, but look at the other word, wise. What, what does it mean to be obedient? It means to be faithful, and it means to be wise. Who then is the wise servant? Wisdom is simply love in action. When, when you're being wise, all you're doing is simply living in love of God. When we love God, we obey God. And there's nothing wiser any of us can do than to obey God. I say this all the time, and I want you to, to learn this. I want you to learn this so that you'll know this. That's why I say it all the time. And it's simply this. To know Jesus is to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to obey Jesus. If you are not obeying Jesus, it's because you don't love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, it's because you don't know Jesus. To know Jesus for who He really is, is to love Him. And to love Him is to obey Him. If you're not obeying Him, it's because you don't love Him. You want a heart of wisdom? Love Jesus. Love Jesus and obey Jesus. Ask yourself a simple question. Does your life model a life of love for Jesus? If not, why not? It's a simple answer. If you don't love Jesus, it's because you don't know Jesus. To know Him is to love Him, and to love Him is to obey Him, and to obey Him is to be wise. Jesus expects us to be wise, faithful servants who are hopeful. Look in verse 47, for the last part of 46. He says to give them their food at their proper time. These who are faithful and wise, there's going to come a blessing. Truly I say to you, He will set Him over all His possessions. Listen, this is the hope that we have. We know that Christ is returning. We know that Christ is with us now. All all that hope is, is confidence in love. If you are not confident of the love of God in your life and for your life, then you don't have hope. 
And if you don't have hope, you live horribly. You are not kind and you're not helpful. Look at verse 48. But if, if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards. What, what, what would lead a person to do that? I'll tell you what it does. A, a person who does not believe in Jesus and love Jesus hurts other people, abuses other people, including themselves. Some of you have been drunk this weekend. Let me tell you why. Because you don't have hope. Some of you have been viewing pornography. Let me tell you why. Because you don't have hope. Some of you have been mean, distempered, uh, downright awful to other people. Let me tell you why. Because you don't have hope. See, if you love Jesus and you know that He loves you, there's hope in your heart. And that hope leads you to kindness. That hope leads you to have the confidence to care for other people rather than simply trying to satisfy your temporal needs. If all you're doing is living to, to satisfy your temporal needs, here's what I need you to understand. You don't have eternal hope. Because if you have eternal hope, you love Jesus. If you love Jesus, you obey Jesus. And that obedience that, that is lived out in your life, and there's a confidence that comes from it. You're not fearing the return of Christ. You're delighted in the return of Christ. But if you are not delighted in the return of Christ, friends, let these words, let these words be a threat to you. Let these words I'm about to read wake you up. Verse 15. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he does not know, he will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites in that place where he, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus will come, and there will be hell to pay. Friends, hear me. Hear me. When Jesus comes, his judgment will be just. I know there, there are people, I went to college with people, I debated with people who said, I cannot believe in a God that would allow something as horrific as hell. And my response to that has always been the same. He doesn't need you to. And what you believe and what you think doesn't change who He is. He is a just God. And His just penalty for sin eternal death. I, I read this morning about a man who is over 100 years old, well over 100 years old, and you know what he said he wants? He said he wants to die. He said, I hurt every day. I physically hurt. I'm 43 years old and my knees are killing me. Some of you are in your 80s. You have aches and pains. We've heard. You've talked about it a few times. Some of you are nearing 100. And, and you think about the aches and pains of what we feel now. That's just a hundred years. What will it be after a millennia? After a thousand years? The Bible says that they will long for death and never get it. To, to be alive but dead, there can be nothing worse. That's why there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's a never-ending suffering. And this is the just penalty for sinning against an almighty, eternal God. Please understand that this judgment is permanent. Look what the Bible says, Hebrews 9.27. And just as it's appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You get one life and you get one judgment. And that judgment is permanent. And the last thing I want to tell you, and I want you to understand this, the judgment is personal. 
God is not going to judge you for the parents you had or didn't have. He's not going to judge you for the government you lived under. He's going to judge you for your actions and attitude. What did you believe and what did you do? Did you love Jesus, repent, and, and trust in Him? Or did you choose your own self-salvation of temporary things that will not provide for your eternal soul? If you are in a situation right now where you're trusting in anything other than Jesus Christ to be your hope and your happiness and your life, I want to beg you not to leave this place until you've repented and believed in Jesus Christ. You may have questions. We're here for that. We can help you. Some of you claim Christ as your Savior. Does anyone in your workplace know it? Does anyone know it in your family? Does anyone know it? Are you a part of the rescue? Are you sharing it with them? On your way out today, we've got lifesavers, except over here, I think some kids raided that one. Sorry for, for those of you that were over there. It wasn't me. I had a few, but I didn't have all of them. We want you to take a lifesaver with you. Two things we want you to remember. One, God has called you to be a part of his life-saving operation. And understand, this is sweet. To have Christ in your life is a sweetness. And so as you go and as you take that with you today, take with you the truth of the sweetness of Jesus that we need to be sharing with everyone around. But some of you, some of you, you're not living in preparation for Jesus' this return. And here's what I want to encourage you to do today. Come get on your knees and ask God to renew your hope and your faith in Him. Some of you need to be praying, not maybe for your marriage, but maybe the marriage of someone you know and care about. Maybe you need to ask God to, to wake up some folks that you know that are not ready for this cataclysmic event that is coming, the return of Jesus. Ask God to do a miracle today. And, and, and do that as we, as we profess our own faith and what we've decided to do. Let's stand together as we pray to get ready to respond. Father, um, this is intense stuff. This, this, this whole idea is just overwhelming to me because I believe it. I know it's true. And I also know, God, it's so easy for me to get distracted with worldly, temporary things and lose sight of the fact that there are many in our world, many who are even here right now, who need saving faith. They need to trust in you. And I pray that they will. And I pray that we will all be a part of, of living hopeful and being helpful to let others know so that they can be disciples. But God, there are many today who need your help. They need your strength. So hear them as they come and pray and ask for you to intervene in their life. And for those of us who sing, may we sing this now as a, not only a song of dedication, but a, a song, a statement of affirmation of our own faith. I ask you to do this now in the name of Jesus. Amen.